This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Damian Bolwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, what you need to know about herd immunity and the great risk and implications that come with that idea when it comes to the coronavirus. Health reporter Aaron Alday, always our trusted guide to the pandemic, is back with us on the podcast. We'll talk about what herd immunity is, how it factors into the outbreak at San Quentin Prison and the country of Sweden, and how the idea carries racial implications that cannot be ignored. Aaron, hello again. Hi, Damien. Thanks for coming back on, Aaron. Before we get into this idea of herd immunity and, and the research and the work that you're doing, what's the latest in the Bay Area and California on the pandemic and the cases that we're seeing? So the latest is that we're starting to see kind of the first signals that things might be settling down a little bit or at least slowing down, that we're seeing kind of um, cases dropping off a little bit for the first time. That's tempered somewhat by this news uh, recently from the state that their their program, their system for collecting uh, case data and disseminating that to the counties is hitting some glitches. So um, there may be there may be some delays. We may be behind in those case counts that could affect some of the slowing down that we're seeing. But most of the folks I talk to seem to think that this is a real thing that's happening. We're also seeing hospitalization numbers dip a little bit. We're seeing just sort of signals here and there that that we are starting to get this thing under control finally. Um, of course, we have a long way to go before we'll feel comfortable um, opening anything up and uh, and and feeling like we've really got a grip on things. And we've had to sort of retrench to to get those numbers, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, we're now three weeks after uh, Governor Newsom really shut down a lot of the state all over again. Um, and so so we had to we had to do, take some pretty big hits in order to to get to where we are now. All right, Aaron, let's talk about herd immunity. And I want to start out by telling you that I, you know, I speak to a lot of people, um, obviously for the job, but also in the community where I live. And it seems like there are people who want to do everything to stop the coronavirus from spreading and are willing to, to do that. And there are others who have sort of decided um, for one reason or another that they would like to sort of not be so cautious um, and, and think that it's best that we face some sort of reality of, of some spread. And, um, and the, the idea of her, herd immunity seems to come up within that. And, and this, this feeling among some of the public, hey, we're going to sort of have to get there anyway, so we might as well face it. Um, are you hearing some of the same things? And, and why are we talking about herd immunity? Yeah, the I am hearing some of those thing, same things. And the other thing you kind of hear from folks that, you know, the way the United States is headed and and how poorly that this pandemic has been handled on sort of all levels, you know, maybe that's the direction we're headed anyway, even if that's not what um, what anybody really or what a lot of people want or what's advisable that, you know, a lot of people asking that question, well, are we just going to did we sort of choose, you know, the herd immunity route just because we suck it at everything else that we tried. 
Um, that is certainly something that I, I hear from people. It, it gets kind of talked about on social media. Um, it comes up. And so, yeah, it just seemed like this is an appropriate time, especially with with the surge that California and a lot of the country has been dealing with. You know, people are asking, well, you know, is that direction the direction we're headed? Um, and, you know, how close are we to reaching herd immunity? And the, the truth is we're not anywhere near close. And also most experts, pretty much everybody I talk to says that is not a viable end, end game for for this pandemic. Um, so that's that's definitely the topic that I'm addressing. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's really worth examining, and I'm glad you're doing it. Let's start out with, by defining it. What is herd immunity? Right. So herd immunity is it's it's actually a, apparently a veterinarian term. So I mean, it literally applies to to herds um, when you talk about um, immunizing herds. Um, you know, in, in veterinary uh, settings, but but it, when it applies to people, it's basically very simplistically the number of people who need to be immune to um, a virus or a pathogen of some sort in order to prevent that thing from from spreading freely in the community. So there's a whole bunch of factors that go into that. But, you know, the way we all we're all aware that, you know, a virus comes into a community, comes into, you know, a state, and it's just going to kind of freely spread around until it sort of has infected a certain number of people. And then it's run out of people that it can affect it in infect. Um, and once yeah, like it in, in my neighborhood, that, for if, if enough people have it in my neighborhood and I get it, there's not a lot of people that I'm going to be able to give it to. Exactly. I mean, even if you look at something like, you know, if everybody in your family gets norovirus, you know, at some point, some point it's going to go through everybody in your family and then and then be gone. Um, that's on a, a very small level. And, and probably I'm oversimplifying. But but yeah, the there's a there's a lot of complex math and science that goes into that. And there are different the, the percent of people that need to be infected in order to reach herd immunity is different depending on the virus. So for something that's highly contagious, like measles, um, you actually need to have more than 90% of the population, in this case, vaccinated in order to be protected, to stop that virus from being able to spread in the community. Um, and that's just because that virus, if there is a single person in the room that that hasn't that isn't protected, that virus will find its way into them. Um, something like the coronavirus, it's it's new. Um, so we don't really know exactly what that level is for the coronavirus. And it obviously depends a lot on, you know, things like people wearing masks and, and different measures we're putting into place. But let's say we weren't to do anything and we just let this thing kind of run through us. It's thought that we would probably need to reach about 60 to 80 percent of people in order to get herd immunity with this new coronavirus. But we're nowhere near there, right? We are nowhere near there. Um, a lot of people are surprised to hear this, but you know, in in California, there the CDC has done a couple of of tests to see you know how many people have been infected um, with this coronavirus, and their last big big test, um, big assessment was back in the end of April, which was of course before this big surge. But back then in the Bay Area, it was only 1%. That was their their kind of best guess um, and, and pretty good guess of how many people had been infected with this virus was about 1%. Um, it certainly is higher than that now after this surge, but it's still, you know, for the whole region, it's going to be well under 10%. Um, and even in the communities where they've had the most infections, so your Latinx communities um, and whatnot, it still is is probably going to be you know, right around 10%, maybe a little bit higher than that. Um, so point being, that's a long ways from the 60 to 80% that we would need to to stop this thing. 
And yet, Aaron, there's an attractiveness to the concept, right? I mean, it seems like people want to believe that somehow we can power through and get to this place where where we're past the virus. But as you as you write, there are a lot of problems with that, right? Right. There are a lot of problems with that. There's a lot of reasons why that's just not a good idea. And one of them being, you know, that I didn't discuss earlier with herd immunity is we don't actually know if that will work with people who have been infected. Um, We don't know what sort of protection, you know, being infected with this virus provides that person. So we don't know, you know, can you be reinfected? We're pretty sure that there is at least some temporary protection, but we don't know that for sure. Um, We don't know how long that protection lasts. So assuming a person is, is protected, it's probably just for a few months, you know, maybe a little bit longer than that, but it certainly is, is unlikely to be permanent. And so the idea of herd immunity relies on the idea that that once you're infected, that you're not going to be reinfected. And so we can stop this thing in its tracks. But if but we don't know that that's the case. We don't know that that's even possible. So so aiming for herd immunity is problematic kind of right out of the gate. But that's then not taking into consideration the fact that when you talk about reaching herd immunity, you're sacrificing lives in order to have this thing run through a community people are going to get sick and people are going to die. Some of those people are going to die. And um, and we've seen that played out. Sweden, you know, very famously, you know, opted to go for, for herd immunity, opted to kind of let this thing run its course. And what they saw was that, you know, they have one of, if not the highest death rate in Europe. Um, you know, thousands of people died more than than you know, what you would expect or what would have been happened if they had had, you know, instituted any sheltering policies. And they also, frankly, didn't get anywhere close to herd immunity. They only got to about seven or eight percent of their people infected. Um, so it just doesn't it's it's just not really a viable option, even if you wanted to sacrifice that. All right, Aaron, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about San Quentin prison and more about the sort of costs of getting to herd immunity. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. Aaron Alday, our health reporter, is here. We're talking about herd immunity and the idea of whether simply letting the virus spread through the population uh, could get us to a place where we're not in the middle of the pandemic anymore. And Aaron's been laying out the problems with that for us. Aaron, you write that there is a disparate impact on different communities uh, when it comes to race, class, and other factors, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, that is, that's definitely, I think, another thing that's a problem with herd immunity that really doesn't get talked about very much is even if, you know, let's say we were to to kind of throw our hands up, or even if we're just sort of headed in that direction anyway, and, you know, we want to, we decide we want to try to reach for that herd immunity level. The truth is that, that in this country, what, what we're really talking about then is letting this thing burn through our communities that have so far proven most vulnerable to this pandemic, which is our communities of color, 
you know, our frontline Latinx essential workers, um, our African-American communities, they have by far carried the highest burden of disease. And they're going to be the ones who are going to see the high infection rates if we just sort of throw our hands up and, and decide to go for herd immunity. So I think that's important for people to know if, you know, if the folks that I hear talking about herd immunity tend to be the ones that can afford to stay home or can afford to homeschool their kids or, you know, they can work from home safely. Um, and it's it's real easy to say this is an inconvenience. Um, I don't like wearing a mask in public. I don't I don't like not being able to go to sporting events, that kinds of thing. Let's just let's just get this thing over and infect a large number of people so that we're protected when that's not going to be you and, and your family that that are affected by that. I think it's also a fact, Aaron, that there's been enough coverage and enough studies about these disparate impacts that there's little excuse anymore for public officials, for politicians, particularly pundits, cable news pundits, to be advancing something and claim that they don't understand it. it's going to have this, this impact on communities of color. I mean, it's, um, you know, the research is there and, and, and the facts are there. Um, and, and yet that seems to be missed in the discussion oftentimes. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that it's, it's frankly reaching a point to me where it's kind of horrifying that that's not something that's part of every conversation around this pandemic. The fact that it is very clearly our communities of color and our lower income communities, um, who are just so disproportionately affected by this. It's really dramatic how disproportionately affected they are. And so, yeah, when we talk about, you know, letting go or when we talk about the need to reopen your economy and and kind of push people back into their normal lives um you know we really need to be having a conversation about at the very least about how we're going to protect these communities um and and not just you know not just sort of throwing words out there but actually you know really talking about getting the the appropriate resources to these communities and and protecting them if that's if that's what we're going to do i mean we should be doing that anyway um, obviously, you know, these are right now the communities that are most vulnerable, but we really need to be, if we're going to, if we're going to open up even further, that, that needs to be a huge part, if not like the most important part of the conversation. What about San Quentin? We've been writing a lot about the outbreak there, swept through, hit death row. Um, what's going on at San Quentin? Is it part of the discussion? Yeah. Um, San Quentin is kind of an interesting, um, you know, little piece of this herd immunity puzzle. Um, just sort of as of right now, um, 67% of their population or 64, it's basically two thirds of their population has been infected with the virus now. So they're, you know, they're like kind of the one place in this country where we can look and say, well, this is herd immunity. Um, and you can see in their, in their numbers that there was, you know, this massive increase and now they've had this pretty significant tapering off of cases, um, and, you know, there's a lot going on there. I'm sure that there have been what I would hope, um, although I definitely can't be sure that there have been some sort of protective, you know, measures put in place. Um, but most people seem to think, I mean, there's only so much you can do to prevent spread of disease in a prison setting, right? I mean, everybody's kind of on top of each other. Um, we've seen this thing, just this virus just plow right through that community so quickly. So the thinking is that this, and I'm looking at the number right now, the 67% of, of people infected there, that that's, that's herd immunity, that they, they basically got there. Um, and so there is sort of an interesting look at, you know, we but at again, kind of, at a very high cost, right? Oh, extremely high cost. I mean, that is not an example that we want to say, like, look what we can do. Look at, look at this 
Look at look at how great it is when we can we can reach herd immunity. No, we've had, you know, 21 people have died there so far. Um, that's about one percent of of the people who have been infected. Um, and that's, you know, we didn't that didn't need to happen. Um, and that's not including the people who are very seriously ill. Um, that's not including the burden that was placed on hospitals and the communities where those, you know, folks who got seriously ill were sent. Um, staffers. Staffers. I mean, exactly. There's a whole lot of of secondary effects there, indirect effects that, you know, that happen when we decide to just, or we, we inadvertently opt to just let something, you know, plow right through a population. Finally, Aaron, it seems that this discussion gets at something we keep talking about, which is this larger issue of immunity, uh, of antibodies, um, and how much we still don't know and how much we're still trying to learn to get through this. Yeah, it really is. um, All of this comes down to the fact that we don't know, you know, what, what sort of immunity we get from from being infected with this. Um, and the, the interesting thing with, you know, this is a coronavirus famously. Um, we have many other coronaviruses and you would think that this is, you know, they're all part of a family. They might behave, you know, somewhat the same. Um, and, and one thing that makes folks think that, that this coronavirus probably doesn't proffer much long-term immunity is you just look at the common cold. So coronaviruses, three or four strains of them account for something like a third of all common colds. I think every one of us is well aware that you can get a cold all the time, right? Like we get them several times a year. Most of us, um, we don't really think about them much because they're not, they don't, they're just an inconvenience. Um, but clearly, you know, for most of those coronaviruses, we don't have long-term protection once we're infected. Um, the other famous example is the coronavirus that caused SARS, um, you know, ideally, we would have some information from that coronavirus as to whether we get any protection from it and, and what immunity means. But the truth is that that virus phased, faded out so quickly within about a year that we kind of never had time to study it to learn what immunity looked like with that virus. So on both ends of the spectrum, you know, we've never prioritized studying the common cold virus to the point of understanding immunity from it. So we can't use that really to guide us. We can't really use SARS very well to guide us. So we're sort of, you know, working blindly here, kind of starting from scratch and understanding, you know, what, what immunity looks like with this coronavirus. But to underscore the places in the world or, or in the United States that have been able to reopen, or that have been able to get to a place they're more comfortable with, they're not reaching that through herd immunity. They're reaching it in the opposite fashion, right, by, by driving down the virus. Correct. I think it's really important to note that there is nowhere, you know, no country is, is anywhere near herd immunity. Um, we have some examples of small communities, not just San Quentin, but in other countries there have been, you know, slums in Mumbai, Mumbai that I think had reached some levels of, of herd immunity, maybe some villages in other parts of the world. But, but that's it. And we don't really understand much about what that means. So no, I mean, in the United States, even in the hardest hit areas like New York, there's still maybe 20% of people infected, if that. Um, so nowhere are we close to it. And again, no one thinks that that's really something that we should be, we should be shooting for. All right, Aaron, it is so nice to talk to you. I really appreciate you being our guide and the work that you do. Uh, Thanks for stopping in. Thank you, Damien. Always great to talk to you. Thanks to my guest today, health reporter Aaron Alday, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.